Simply Grounded, sponsored by GoRoute, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. Episode 18's guest is former East Mississippi Community College offensive coordinator, Marcus Wood. Coach Wood will share his journey that takes him from a Hall of Fame playing career to the offensive coordinator at one of the premier JUCOs in the nation. Coach then will unwrap the MCC offense and install its most successful run and pass game concepts. Coach also reveals what it was like to be featured on Netflix's original series, Last Chance U, and will explain what Last Chance U has done for EMCC as well as his own coaching career. Coach Wood has been a part of great football as a player and coach, and his knowledge of the game made this a very enjoyable interview that we hope you'll enjoy as well. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And please, if you would, leave a review on one of our podcasting networks such as iTunes or Stitcher, and help us share and grow our program with others. Enjoy our latest guest, Coach Marcus Wood. We're here with Eastern Mississippi Community College former offensive coordinator Marcus Wood. Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in coaching. Well, I started out back in uh, 1996 as a volunteer assistant for Holmes Community College, and then I went to Mississippi State as a graduate assistant. Uh, Went back to East Mississippi for a year under uh, coach Tom Goose, who was a tremendous uh, person to be around and, and, you know, the coach under. And then I got into doing high school ball. I went and started out as a defensive coach, was a defensive coordinator, and then moved through some things and took a small head job to Philadelphia, then on to Columbia, then on to Gulfport before coming back to uh, East Mississippi. So it's been a good run for me. Coach, you played at EMCC in the mid-1990s and are now a member of the Hall of Fame there. What drew you to the college to start with, and, and how has the college changed since you first got there? Well, it's, it's changed drastically. When I first got there, the community college system in Mississippi was a little different. You had uh, Each college had uh, counties, and the counties were pretty much locked in to go into those community colleges. And if you wanted to go outside of that community college, essentially the coaches would have to give you a release and grant that. And back in those days, you know, if you had any talent to you, most of them weren't going to release you. So East Mississippi was kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, and we just didn't have a lot of resources at the time. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't really flourishing. We weren't winning a lot, and at the time the school was kind of in financial trouble. Uh, Dr. Tommy Davis was the president. He hired Coach Goose and uh, kind of got things going in the right direction with Coach Goon, and then it, it, it sort of took off to where it is now. So back in those days, you didn't have a lot of options. Now, that changed uh, during the time I was coaching. Around 2012, they opened the state up, and it became more like a, a regular junior college system where you could kind of go to any of the 14 junior colleges that played football in the state. But now when I was playing, you were pretty much locked into an area. Before landing as an assistant coach at Eastern Mississippi, you spent some time in the high school ranks in Mississippi and as some other spots that you've mentioned before here. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from your time at the high school level? Uh, just a tremendous amount of respect for the guys that coach high school ball. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like I told somebody one time, coaching junior college ball, you know, you have a lot of turnover and you get a lot of guys that come in every year, but uh, you're kind of playing five-card draw. And then, High school football, you're kind of playing five-part stud. So you sort of have what you have. So one year you might have to try to run the wing feet, have success. The next year you might be in the spread. The following year you could be running the veer. So you have to be pretty multiple and you have to be pretty well-versed in a lot of different backgrounds. And it's the same thing, you know, schematically. If you're playing teams, those high school coaches have to adjust so much from week to week to get ready for the next opponent. A lot of times 
the teams we get ready for are essentially the same. They may vary a little bit. One may be zone-based, one may be a power run game or a counter run game. But for the most part, most of these college teams that you're playing nowadays are spread. So uh, I, I think it's it's pretty unique. I think you have to be pretty versatile to be a high school coach. So I really have a ton of respect for those guys. Those guys have been kind of my lifeblood forever, and I spent 10 years coaching with those guys in high school. So uh, there's a ton of great coaches that coach high school football. So probably the biggest lesson is that, that I learned from being around those guys or the knowledge that they had and their ability to adjust. And I've always been impressed with that. When you're at EMCC, what position group did you spend most of your time with? Uh, I moved around. I started out with Coach Duke now as a running back. Then when, when Buddy hired me, I came in as a receiver coach. And then, of course, as the offense coordinator, I worked with receivers and running backs and, and quarterbacks and O-line, the whole group. But uh, primarily receivers, probably. Okay, were there any some of the drills or, or skills that you were kind of looking for when you were really working on the, the running backs or the wide receivers that you thought were extremely successful in the development of those players? Well, you know, the, the difference in junior college as opposed to a senior college deal, I, I remember years ago we had some, some guys that had been placed in there by Alabama and some different schools. And, you know, a lot of those guys, they're able to recruit a little different. They might can go get a guy that potentially – projects as a guy that can be a great player down the road and the difference with us we had to have a guy that was kind of an immediate impact guy that could come in and play right away so when you say what we were looking for a lot of times i was looking for those guys that could could score in the red zone guys that could uh, put up great numbers guys that were uh, already kind of established now when i say that that might not necessarily be the Division one type body, it might be the five foot six, five foot seven slot that was really electric and could run. As far as any drills and things that we did, uh, you know what we were, we were pretty fundamental with everything we did. So we tried to uh, make sure we were doing kind of the same stuff every day. I mean, our our stalk progression was such that we were going to work on our approach every day and our strike and our recoil and our finish, and then our our ball drills that we we're going to work every day. I mean. We're going to work mesh drills. We're going to work cone drills, top of the uh, curl drills, different things like that. So we were going to stress a lot of the fundamental stuff, catching the ball and being able to block at the receiver position. Same thing with quarterbacks. We were trying to teach them to throw without laces and get the ball out of their hand as fast as they could because we were going to throw it 50, 55 times a game. So that was really kind of what we did. Coach, if you had to choose your preferred offensive scheme, what would it be and why? <laughs> You know what? I've kind of cut my teeth with the spread, but I absolutely love the veer. Nobody knows that. Everybody thinks I'm just a straight spread guy. But I ran the veer in high school, and I loved it. Uh, and I ran a lot of triple, and I ran some midline, and I ran some counter dive option and things of that way. And uh, you know, I ran split backs one year. I, and I learned a lot from, from doing that. And when I was a defensive coordinator in the late 90s, uh, I was at Meridian High School, and we saw a lot of option football. It's just so tough to defend getting guys to – to stay at home so the option is always appealing to me but i would probably run my spread just because i, I feel like i know it pretty good and what we did uh we were such a tempo based team that i, I love that i love that, that we pushed it and went so fast and you know I, I think about stuff all the time i think i've got two or three ideas in my head that i could make it even go faster but i'm not doing that right now so you know how that goes yeah so uh, from your time with the veer is there anything that you you did with that kind of offense that you adapted then when you ran your spread form of system at the emcc not as much and, and we did some zone read off of it which was probably the closest thing and a lot of run pass and uh you know we were initially throwing the bubble and some fast screen to the outside guy depending on what our coverages look like and then uh 
you know, I got the, I, I was a big stick, shallow dig guy, so I got to run some run pass using this double stick and things like that out of trips and and uh, so some of those type of concepts, but not so much bigger. We became so heavy zone. I, I switched to the zone and. What, what really kind of got me changing over in, in high school, I went to uh, Columbia High School. And when I got there, they had been pretty successful but had graduated a large group and didn't have a lot returning. We were we were fairly small number-wise. We were in the 20s. So it was almost to the point where as midseason got along, we were running some beer and, and some wing P types principles. We, uh, we were having a hard time practicing. Couldn't go full 11 on 11. So I, I finally realized I'm going to have to get these jokers out of the gym because there's a ton of good athletes up there. So – convinced the group to come out and that would have been around 2004 uh out of the gym and we threw it around and i think out of that group of uh, basketball guys i think four of them ended up playing junior college or senior college football so that's what kind of changed me i, I thought i could i had to evolve i, I liked the veer it was a, a, a i thought it was great but um i needed to do something where i could spread the field and get get the ball in some skilled guys hands and let them do what they do so uh that, that's sort of kind of where it evolved and where it changed. And once I got into running that, I, I, I pretty much exclusively ran the zone. I mean, I ran a little bit of power, but I was really heavy zone. Probably if you went back and charted my run game time doing it, I think I was probably 92, 93% zone base run. So um, I just got, I got to where I liked it. And I thought if I could stay simple, we could go faster. Coach, did you just run exclusively inside zone or did you run like a combination of inside outside zone? Inside, outside, I ran them both. Out of that 92%, it's probably about 40% inside and about 52% outside. It was, it was just, we. I like the outside zone. I like to be able to push towards the edge. Pretty easy teaching technique. I mean, we were aiming with the back about a yard outside of the inland line of scrimmage. And then essentially he was going to run wide until something crossed his path and he's going to stick his foot in the ground and get north and south. So, you know, our, it, it would it would vary a good bit, but those were the main two things we ran. And then we ran kind of a midline concept off of it. Uh, that was probably the only beer thing I ran. Uh, and how we did it was, um, you know, we we basically we, we ran it towards the low tech and then blocked back inside zone behind it. And uh, we ended up reading the low technique. And if he was a guy that pushed up field, we ended up giving the ball. And if he ended up setting the line or handing the ball, and then uh, if he ended up pushing up field, we ended up keeping it with our quarterback. So. It, it was that's about the only concept we had, but we were heavy inside outside. That was it. In terms of your passing game, what were you know you kind of mentioned the stick concept and the shallow dig concept. But what are some of the other staple concepts that you've had in your passing games? Uh, you know, we, we threw the smash um, a, a pretty good bit. Uh, we, we ran about six three step, and essentially what we would do going into it, we we had about six three step routes that we'd run, which were hitch. Uh, we ran a, a what we called a bench route, which was basically like a Shortened version of a comeback to the outside guys with inside seams. We ran a uh, slant bubble. Uh, so we ran a spacing concept. We ran off slant, and then we ran, of course, outcuts out of our uh, three-step. And then out of our five-step or drop-back game, I guess you'd call it, because um, we just had a quick and drop-back out of that, uh, you know, you ran your four verts. Um, you ran your stick. You ran your curls. Um, we ran... I love the old climb route, Y climb, uh, mummy's old stuff. Um, a little bit of mesh, some smash, uh, shallow dig, and a little bit of flood, and that was it. Now, in, in a ball game type situation, we're probably going to take three or four of those three steps, depending on who we were playing and what kind of coverages they ran, and then probably four or five of the drop back 
concepts. And that's really what we went. And then we sprinkled in all of our screen game. Our screen game was pretty much tunnel and bubble and your fast screen or your canal screen and then your slow screen to your running back. And that's kind of what we did. You know, we've talked to quite a few spread coaches, and one of the things that, you know, the kind of the stereotype is that once you get into the red zone, the spread offense becomes a little bit more difficult to run. But in terms of your passing game, how do you adjust your maybe your route concepts or maybe your formations to help kind of stem along your passing game in the red zone? Well, you know what? I was a big shallow dig guy in the red zone still. I may run it with an outside guy running the shallow to get kind of a natural pick from the slot receiver. Uh, did the same thing with the spacing concept. Uh, where we would shorten the field and try to pick off some guys that way. Uh, the stick route, really the same. Um, and, and ran some mesh down there when we got close. Um, we, we were pretty – I was pretty fortunate. I mean, I had some tremendous athletes. And I think in the time that I called it, I think in the six years, we averaged right at, you know, right at 52 points a game for six seasons. And, uh, you know, we were, we were really blessed. We were really fortunate to do some good stuff when we got into the red zone. And we felt like we had to, to pound it to get in there. We still ran some zone. We also had a package where it was like a wildcat package where we'd take the quarterback out, bring in an extra tackle, and basically have a six-man line. And uh, we, we'd run a little power and a little counter off of it. And it wasn't tricky. We powered to the right and countered to the left. Um, and then, we, you know, we would throw some, some sprint out stuff a little bit. But that was it. And, and I think what made us effective, we would – generally wear people down we were running close to 90 plays a game i think you know i think in 13 we averaged like 615 yards a game and 62 points i think in 2012 we averaged like 94 plays a game um i think 2000 and oh let's see maybe 2014 we were 56 a game but we were able to have the you know we had the running clocks they started the running clocks up after the 13th season in our league so that sort of changed a little bit. But, no, we, we were pretty fortunate. We didn't change a lot. We felt like our tempo, we would go fast. And then as we got into the red zone, even try to go faster. Uh, you know, we didn't have a, a, quote, indie package or anything like that that we, we, we went to. But we, we basically tried to just tempo the – we tried to tempo people to death. And when you, you know, talk about tempo, like how do you guys communicate those plays? Is it something on the wristband? Is it something on boards? Or how do you guys communicate so you guys can play so fast? We were all hand signals, and, and I was essentially talking to the quarterbacks and the steel guys and with the signals, and uh, quarterback relayed everything to the O-line. So, you know, we were basically a 10-personnel team uh, 98% of the time. Like I said, we might get into a wildcat-type package in a short yardage situation, but we were pretty much 10 personnel. So we didn't take guys on and off the field. The running backs had to be able to flex out and get into empty sets, and uh, so we, we had to stay simple with our pass concepts, and, and we tried to do that. But everything was hand-signaled, and then, like I said, our quarterback would convey it to the front, and then we would just try to go as fast as we could. Now, kind of switching things away from the X's and O's a little bit, you coached a, a vast array of talent during your time at EMCC. Uh, what are some of the challenges of coordinating an offense that has so many moving parts year in and year out? Uh, I, I guess I didn't look at them as challenges. I guess I looked at them as more like opportunities. I, I think I treated the, the players a lot like they were family, so I think I was, was – pretty brutally honest with them. I loved them, and, and I wanted them to know that I loved them, but I wanted to know I was also going to hold them accountable if they didn't do something they were supposed to do. So I'd, I'd call their hand on them uh, if they didn't do something right, but uh, usually I didn't have a, a big problem with that. The the part about adjusting and, and, and playing a, a, a lot of guys or, or I guess, um, you know, dealing with different egos, because you're, you're coming into a situation where I think 
I think one year out of the 26 offensive players we had, I think 25 were all-stars in Mississippi and like 23 had already won state titles uh, coming out of high school. So I had a, a virtual all-star team on that side of the ball, which was a lot of fun. And uh, I think basically what we did was we, we let them pretty much know if you're a first team or a second team, you're first team to us. I and mean, we're not going to treat it any different. You're going to get as many reps. And over that six-year span, the unique part about us, we had one or two years where we had a guy that's redshirted as a, a medical or a non-participant deal that, uh, you know, maybe he had like a torn labrum and, and we brought him in and signed him and handed him against our 55, but we weren't going to play him and we knew do it. Other than that, though, we were fortunate to be able to play every offensive player in all those games, in those 66 games, uh, over a six-year period. So that that was the big part, the fact that we were scoring points and that everybody was involved and everybody you know, had a chance. I think in 2000 and um, I think in 2015, I think I had something like nine receivers with at least 15 catches. Wow. So I think just what you don't see, if you look back at us, we have had some great players. Some of our receiver numbers aren't quite as high as maybe a school that had one dominant receiver and they tried to get him the ball 10, 12 times a game. We we didn't have that. We sort of we sort of killed you with what we had across the board. If you were trying to take away our X, then we might hit you with our Z. Or if you're trying to take away Z, maybe the Y and the H became a factor. So, you know, it was pretty unique. And we were we were really a uh, more of a horizontal stretch team than we were a vertical stretch team. So, you know, it got everybody involved. It wasn't just, hey, throw it. To, to one guy vertical all the time. So that that was pretty fortunate for us, and we were able to balance it. And again, I think it goes back to being honest with those players. They knew what the expectations were, and they knew what their role would be, and, and they did great. So I was really fortunate to coach a lot of great players. Now, you said, and you've talked about throughout the interview here, that you played for legendary and, and coached under legendary coach Tom Good, and then now your most recent coaching uh, was under Buddy Stevens. What was it like working for both coaches? And Was there any similarities or differences in between the two? Uh, you know, they're different guys. Um, I think, I think Buddy's track record, uh, you, you look at Buddy, he, he's going to be remembered for having, having won a lot of games and, and the success that we had, you know, on the field. Um, you know, I had a chance to, to play for Goode and then I had a chance to, to coach for Goode. And, and i tell you what's unique about Goode. Uh, coach Goode was such a, uh, you know, he'd been at Alabama, he'd been at state, he'd been at Vanderbilt, different places all throughout the SEC. And, uh, he he was such a guy that he was a guy that cared so much for his players. I can remember, you know, the night before games as a player, uh, he would always check curfew. And I remember Coach Dude would come around and, and he would, uh, you know, he'd tell you he loved you before the night before every game. And at the time, you know, when you're 19 years old, you, know, you, you sort of take that for granted and you don't think much about it. You think, what's this guy talking about? And then the more you're around him, you realize he's as genuine as there is. And I'm sure there are, people that probably didn't have great experiences. I was a defensive back, so, you know, he didn't directly coach me every day. He was an O-line guy, but um, I, I just remember him caring about us, and I remember that uh, I always thought that that was the main thing to him, was taking care of his players and doing all that. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're different. You know, there's a tremendous amount of success that Buddy's had and uh, on the field, a lot of wins, and, uh, you know, can't say enough about that. And then uh, I think with Coach Good, you look at him and, you know, he's kind of a guy that you, you looked up to as a as a uh, kind of a leader of men, kind of a guy that, that was a uh, uh, guy that really just cared for his players. And so 
both very successful and both successful in different ways. Now, I know you probably get this a lot and a lot of questions about this, but we feel it'd probably be necessary to bring up uh, EMCC's time on Last Chance U um, during your role for seasons one and two. Yeah. Uh, what was it like having the film crews around all the time? You know, they were really good. Uh, uh, Greg Wiley, Adam Ridley, uh, Terry Gabe, all those guys that, that filmed and did everything, just awesome, awesome group of guys. And I think they uh, tried to do a really good job of presenting everything as accurate as they could. Um, you know, initially a little bit cumbersome with, with having to wear the, the the wiring and stuff every day and, and uh, you know, you're mic'd up every day and, and you know, you might be in the middle of talking to the guys and somebody's coming over to change your battery pack and that's a little bit it's a little bit unusual. But as we got more into it, I think you got more comfortable, which is also kind of a worry because, you, you know, I don't want to say something or do something that can be turned and, and, and somebody think, well, he's not really this way or he's not really that way. And I think that they did a really good job of, of trying to be kind to everybody on the show and, and represent some, you know, you saw a lot of different backgrounds from a lot of different players. I probably like, I, I've only seen the series from one time through. I, I just, I sort of lived it. So I didn't really watch it right. a lot. Um, but the season one, I, I think what I like probably better with season one, as opposed to season two, uh, you know, you got to see a little bit more about the uh, kind of the process that we had. You know, we had Brittany there. She was doing a great job with her academics. Um, you know, we were able to get her in place, and it was one, we were the first to really have an academic advisor in the state, and she did a great job. Um, you could see that we were getting guys in, getting them through the summer sessions that they needed, getting them the hours they needed, and then being able to springboard them to the next level. So, to me, you could see us taking people from spot A to spot B. You know, it had some rough spots in it, of course, with language and different things, but, but you got an opportunity to see kind of the, the process that we were using. I thought it was it was pretty good. Um, season two, of course, became a little bit more, um, I guess, character-driven. So, I, I noticed that, and I'm not, a, I'm not a film critic by any stretch of imagination, but that's just what it felt like to me. Sure. Now, you've mentioned that you thought that, you know, Netflix and the producers have done a really good job of presenting, you know, Last Chance You, How accurate would you say the portrayal is of all the different, you know, moving parts in Last Chance You? I mean, uh, do they present, you know, Coach Buddy Stevens in the right manner, and do they present this the overall school and community in the right manner in your eyes? Uh, yeah, I mean, overall. I mean, you know, there, there'll be some people that, you know, you'll have some folks that probably say, well, I wish we didn't look this way or I wish we didn't look that way. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Buddy's kind of volatile, kind of a fiery guy, um, and, and it comes across that way. Um, you get a chance to see a lot of the players. I, I thought season two, some, a little bit with the players. I mentioned it being character-driven. I, I thought some of that, you know, you might have had one or two that handed up a time or two, but not not bad. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty accurate. I mean, I, I really think that the film crew and the, the people want to take productions, the guys that worked with Sunday Noss that came down and filmed at Greg and them, I thought they, uh, I thought they tried to present it pretty fair so yeah i mean it was it was good i mean i i, I like i said i watched it one time but it was uh you know i, I it's gotten a ton of great reviews so i mean it's pretty entertaining but yeah i think it's pretty accurate with what they tried to shoot what is being featured on last chance you're done for the emcc community and college in general is it really kind of helping enrollment is it helping you know the program with recruiting what kind of benefit has it had I think notoriety right off the bat. I mean, you know, I think as far as recruiting an out-of-state player, 
it would give us a little bit of a jump on some schools because they would, you know, have a little bit of recognition a little bit more so in 2016 or 17 or 18 than they did back in 2008 or 2009. Uh, you know, in 2008, when we got there, we were just a small school on the eastern side of the state, hadn't had a lot of success. And um, to Buddy's credit, I thought our initial staff that he put together back in 8 and 9 was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, those guys did a great job kind of laying the groundwork. And then the players that came in did a great job. Um, but I think the notoriety that you got initially is good. I think you're going to have some positive and some negative feedback. And it can work, that can work both ways. As far as any impact on, uh, you know, your overall enrollment, I, I'm not sure. I, I think your junior college system is unique. I, I think from my time in doing it and now doing it, working in administration, um, you know, if the economy is, is rolling right along and everything's going good, maybe people send their kids to four-year schools more. If if times are tough or people are struggling, maybe they send them to the two-year more. Maybe it's more economical. I mean, I don't, I don't know all the dynamics as far as why people would send one to a two-year versus a four-year other than the affordability factor. We feel like we have a great option and then we feel like we do some good things. But I don't know that it impacted enrollment that much. It probably did a lot more as far as our online bookstore sales or notoriety, being able to recruit some kids from far off and all that. Uh, so it, that part was positive. Um, and then, of course, you had some, some people that, that didn't like the show and, and they felt like it was negative and some of the, you know, some of the stuff that went on was negative. But overall, I think the, the notoriety was probably the biggest thing we gained from it. You're now an administrator at EMCC, and throughout this whole process, how difficult was it for you to step away from coaching football, and what factors went into your decision to make this kind of career change? Oh, it's tough. I mean, I uh, I still miss the players. There's no question. I'm, I, You know, in the two years, I think I let them into the house the one time that they did, or the one that went to, at the house, and uh, Greg and them were really tasteful in what they did, and they had, I'd actually let them come in one time without the cameras, and they asked me could they film it. Um, it so, you know, I was very close to the players that I had a chance, not only to coach offensively, but a lot of those defensive guys. I mean, you see Zeke Rose, you saw Malik Bell, you saw Dakota Allen, different ones that uh, were really special to me. And, and, and not just them, the whole group. I just mentioned them. But I think they're featured on that segment, uh, the Diamante Pounds, different ones that were at my house at that time. Um yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was one of those deals where I'd had some opportunities to move at different times and being a single dad and I'd gone through a divorce and I was trying to do what was kind of best interest for my kids. So I had moved around earlier in my uh, coaching career and I'd kind of sat down and, and that was where I was going to be. And then uh, I'd been offered an administrative job in 15 and didn't take it. And then it took it after the 16 season. I decided it was time. I'd gotten offered again and I kind of thought maybe it was something I needed to do and um, you know, so I did, but who knows, man? I mean, it, it was a, uh, it, it was tough. I mean, a lot of factors, I guess, went into it as far as my, my time with my sons and, and doing different things, but, um, and, and good and bad, uh, at the same time, I, I missed the players and the interaction that I had daily. So that was really tough on me. Uh, not, you know, people are, you talk to people and everybody thinks, well, I'm sure missing the game days is what he's missing. I, I missed the prep. I missed the, the devotionals i missed the uh time doing stuff with them individually so uh that part was tough being away from that side of the game so yeah it, it was tough and i do miss parts of that so who knows what do you think has the future has in store for you coach is there any certain goals you have for yourself or a certain position that you'd one day like to kind of move yourself into 
uh, you know what, as far as any goals, I think just individually, I, I, I want to try to do a, a good job every day. I used to tell people that used to talk to me about what I really want to do. I, I wanted to make my kids proud. I wanted my sons to be proud of me. I looked at my players like extensions of that. Um, so I, I wanted to, to live in such a way that, you know, they'd be proud that I was their dad or proud that I was their coach or, or whatever. Um, so I, I think as far as my future plans, I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of go day to day trying to live it as good as I can and, and do as good as I can. I stumble and fall way too much, but I, I, that that was really kind of my ultimate deal. As far as what my future has in, whole, uh, in store, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe maybe I stay rocking along with what I've done or what I'm doing now. The college has been great to me. It's a, been home to me for a long time. You know, maybe I roll the dice and get back into coaching sometime. I enjoyed it a lot, and I, I certainly uh, enjoyed being on the sidelines and doing a lot. So who knows? We just have to see how it all shakes out and everything unfolds. Right now I'm just thankful to – have the job and be part of the college, but uh, yeah, you never know. Can't ever tell. We'll see how it all. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Kind of to wrap things up here, coach. It's kind of a question and a tradition that we have here on our podcast, um, and it's kind of just an out there question that really has nothing to do with football. But if you had to choose a walk-up song as a professional baseball player or a professional wrestler, what would Marcus Woods' walk-up song be, and why? Man, that's a good question. Uh, man. I don't know. That that's a tough. Uh, I, back in around twelve or thirteen, I had this song sale, and uh, our media guy took it and kind of ran with it. And then our band started playing it. That was a pretty good song. I like that one. Uh, I, I remember seeing a uh, a video on it where a guy was wearing a, a suit and he's 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 flying through mountains and everything like that at, at breakneck speed. So. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of hurling through space, and so maybe that's a uh, maybe that's a good walk-up song for me. I don't know. That's a good one. Good question. I don't think I've had that one. That's a good one. Thanks, Coach. Well, Coach, I wanted to say thank you for taking your time out and, and talking with us and meeting with us on the podcast. We really appreciated you coming on and sharing your knowledge with all of our listeners. Oh, listen. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm flattered that you invited, and if I can ever ask you again, don't hesitate to call. If you found this podcast helpful, please take the time to go and leave a review, either on Stitcher or iTunes, and let us know what you think.